We're going to be looking in Philippians chapter 2 tonight. Philippians chapter 2, at a message I call simply, It's Worth It. Let's stand together as we read the Word of God together. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 17. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad. And rejoice with you all for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. And may God bless the reading of his word tonight is my prayer. You may be seated. Paul employs an Old Testament figure brings to mind to his audience, his Jewish audience would have known it well. Somebody might would have had to explain it to the Gentiles who would have been there. But uh, even they would have perhaps been familiar with the concept as he mentions the drink offering. If I am being poured out as a drink offering, if, if I am. Now, we were introduced to the subject of the drink offering in Genesis chapter 35. It's a time when Jacob left home, ended up then at that place that he would come to call Bethel, uh, the house of God, Bethel, God's house. And he would build an altar there. And he would pour out a drink offering there. It's the first time we found a reference to it in the scripture. The drink offering, you see, was made of something that they would pour out as an offering of praise to God. If they had a skin of wine, as they would call it back then, they would pour that skin of wine out if they had a, a bottle of oil of some kind, they would open it up and pour it out as a drink offering. It involved the entire amount, whatever it was that they had. One of the most famous examples in the Old Testament was when David was in a battle and he said, man, I wish I had a drink from that well over there. And his mighty men heard it and they fought through the battle and went over there and got him some water and brought it to it. And David wouldn't drink it. He said, you risk your life to get this. And so he poured it out then as a drink offering unto the Lord. It was an act of praise when they poured it all out. You didn't give the Lord just a sip, okay? <laughs> now, here, Lord, let me share it with you. Other offerings they did share with the Lord. They'd give, part, give it to the Lord, and then they would eat part of it themselves. But not this one. The drink offering was something that they poured out unto the Lord. And to the church then at Philippi, Paul says, now if, if I'm being poured out, you should be familiar that uh, Philippians, the book of Philippians is a prison epistle. Paul was in prison when he wrote it. They were concerned, very concerned about what was happening to Paul. Paul at the same time, of course, was very concerned about what was going on with them. That always seems to be the case. That's why he would say, that he had that care, that burden that he carried constantly every day of what he called the care of all the churches. Paul was concerned about all the churches and he carried that burden constantly. So he was concerned about them. They were concerned about him. He didn't know what the future held. He was hoping to be released. But he considers the possibility if I am being poured out as a drink offering, if my life is being poured out now, if, that's what it's, if this is that time, if I'm about to be poured out as a drink offering, 
then I can rejoice in that and be glad. And we'll talk about the implications, applications that Paul would make of that later. This it was going to be something that might happen. Later on, he would mention this same concept, though, in a different setting. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, that famous passage. And there he would say to Timothy, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Or as the KJV put it, I'm ready to be offered. I'm, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I've finished the course. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And we know Paul lived his life with uh, that tension that we all feel with. Having a desire, he said, to depart and be with the Lord, which is far better. <laughs> and yet, uh, knowing that to be here and to stay here for you, that, that is uh, important. So, uh, dying and going to heaven... Uh, was not a defeat to the Apostle Paul. God help us that it's never considered to be a defeat for us. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Jesus, Savior Jesus Christ. Now, you know, we might not be ready to go just yet, and I'm sure we'll all fight for that last moment. But um, still, when I draw this fleeting breath and when my eyes shall close in death, when I rise to worlds unknown and behold him on the throne, uh, it'll all be because of the rock of ages cleft for me. Uh, and I'll let me hide myself in thee. Yeah, uh, we know that that time is coming and it will be victory for us as it is for all of God's people. So Paul was considering that possibility i'm possibly going to be poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith and he said as he considered that possibility i'm glad if that's what it is good (laughs) i'm glad And I want you to be glad with me. What's he saying? It's worth it. It's worth it. I've often watched the the movie uh, Saving Private Ryan. The World War II epic that came out a few years ago. And if you're perhaps familiar with the storyline of how uh, a platoon of soldiers was sent out to find... Uh, Private Ryan and rescue him so that he could go back home because he had had three brothers who had already been killed on the battlefield. And As the storyline played out, of course, all of that platoon ended up being killed uh, except for uh, one guy, the radio guy, I think, was the only one who survived. If you remember that poignant scene with Captain Miller who would say to Private Ryan, pull him close with his dying breath, you know, and say, earn this I mean, how, how do you earn something like that aren't you glad Jesus didn't hang on the cross and with his last words say earn this how could we earn what Jesus Christ has done for us we can't amen we're not tormented with something like that instead he said, tells us who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and, dry, and despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of God who was the joy set before him that's us his people 
people who are going to be saved and born again, have a, a, a life for all eternity, be with him, be his brethren. Yeah, he, was, he wouldn't earn this. Oh. We have an amazing statement then by Paul. If this is what's going on with me, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, it's worth it to me. I'm glad. I'm glad. So let's take a quick look around this text tonight. We'll see a couple of things. First of all, let's notice the task that he assigned. The task. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So as he begins to think about this church and the things that they need and the things that are going on in their life, this is the first thing that he assigns them to do. You need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now we might well look at that passage and ask a question. Well, do we have to work out our own salvation or does God work it out for us? Work it in. Well, we're working out what God has worked in. Notice the verbs. You work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And so what he has called them to do is to work out what God has worked in. It's talking about then what God has placed in us when he saved us. We talked about that some this morning. But uh, it's wonderful to know that God is working in us both to will, to give us a desire, and then to do the performance of that desire. And yet still he would say to us, work it out. He's not calling on us, and don't even think of that, but I must say it. He's not calling on us to work for our salvation because all the work for our salvation has already been done by Jesus Christ. What's he calling on us to do? Work it out. To bring to the outside, then, what is on the inside of us. Work it out so that it is visible So that it can be seen, so that God can utilize it. So to this precious church that was worried about him, but he was worried about them too. He assigns this task. You work out your own salvation, knowing that God has worked it in you. So just like you did when I was with you, he said, Paul says, Now in my absence, whatever that may come to mean, this is what you need to do. Work out your own salvation knowing that God works it in you and that God is working both to give you the desire of what he wants you to do and to accomplish it. Verse 14, one of my favorite passages in all this book. uh, Paul said, do all things without complaining and disputing, uh, without murmuring and arguing. Murmuring is one of those verbs that is what it sounds like. Murmur, murmur, murmur. There's a word for that. I don't know what it is. All I know is it's a command. (laughs) That is what it sounds like. Murmur. Murmur. One of those words. Murmur. What do you do when you murmur? Murmur. Complaining. Complaining. And arguing. So if we're doing all things, and what does all things mean? Well, all things. Whatever it is that we do. We'd find it said that way in other passage. Whatever, Whatever it is. 
whatever our task is in life, wherever we are, wherever we go, whatever we're trying to accomplish in life, whether it's on job, whether it's at the school, uh, wherever we go, whatever we do, do all things without complaining and disputing. Isn't that an incredible challenge for us? You know, I, I, I preached Wednesday night, had a good time preaching as I always do, and ended up going upstairs, and I was walking down the stairs, and I was talking about encouraging Wednesday night and about how we need to encourage one another. And uh, I was coming down the stairs, and, and I, up these stairs right out here, and, and just without even thinking about it, just that quick, I said, you know, somebody made the treads on, these, on this step too short. Now, those treads are too short, but there I was complaining about something. I don't know who did it. It was done a long time before I'm there, but I, think I guarantee you one thing. If you come down those steps, be careful out there. They, they could have been long like these, and I'll still trip over these from time to time, but these aren't near as high. You know, it's amazing how quickly we can lapse into that complaint. It kind of struck me. There I was talk, pro, preaching about encouraging one another. And there I am coming down the stairs of all things complaining about nothing. Nothing. I heard one writer say some years ago, said our, our grandparents, our great-grandparents used to be concerned if they missed a stage, knowing that it might be six months before another stagecoach come through. And he said, we complain these days if we miss a panel in a revolving door. I understand. We got a lot to complain about these days. And it's easy to move into that, do all things without complaining, and all things without complaining and arguing. Look at the result. Of just those two things, if we don't complain all the time and if we aren't picking fights with everybody all the time, just those two things. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless. The children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Every now and then we need to think about the fact that as this whole world gets darker and darker, we don't have to shine very bright to really make a lot of light. You shine as lights in the world just if you don't complain and argue all the time. Become blameless and harmless children of God. Oh, what a goal that is. That he sets before them. Verse 16 then kind of wraps it all up for them. Holding fast the word of life. So that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. That I have not run in vain or labored in vain. You see he's talking to them about things relating to their faith. Their service. How they could live out this relationship that they had in Jesus Christ. How that would look for them in Philippi. Giving them, as he always did, some encouragement about how to live, how to make this faith come to life. And the summary of it all, you hold on to the word of life. It's so often that I've thought about Paul in that situation in the first century and how he had to be concerned about these people. Sometimes he was with them only a matter of weeks or months. He wasn't able to teach them in depth. 
uh, it was all new to them. All new to them. Uh, the Jews had somewhat of a head start because under them had been committed the oracles, the spokesmen of God, and they were familiar with the Old Testament and all its types and rituals and shadows. But you know, they'd made a mess of interpreting what that all meant. And so now in Jesus Christ, it's all new to them. There's the Gentiles who had been pagans at best. It was all new to them. I can understand then why Paul was so concerned about them. Will they hold on? Will they hold on to this? Will they hold on to what they've been taught? What an onslaught they were going to face from that world that they lived in. Will they hold on to the word of life? But you know that issue is every bit as real to us right here in Cabin America in 2023. It's what we're concerned about our young people as we're teaching them constantly as much as we can. Why? Because we want them to hold on to the word of life. It's what we want when we see our young people going off to college. What do we want? What do we pray for? We want them to hold on to the word of life. When they're starting their families and having children and building their careers, what do we want for them? Most of all, we want them to hold on to the word of life. Why do we con- why are we so concerned about it? Because there are so many who do not run through their fingers like so much sand. You hold fast to the word of life. And oh, what a joy it is when we see those children growing up and they're still holding on to the Word. We see those young families growing up, starting their careers, having their kids, they're still holding on to the Word. And if I can rejoice in that as a pastor, it's something you can rejoice in as a Sunday school teacher, as an Awana leader, as a vacation Bible school director, as a parent. What? That you see your children. And they're holding on to the word of life. And you understand that I've not run in vain then. Or labored in vain. It's all had a task. And so as he puts this, or had a purpose. As he puts this task before them. You work out your own salvation. Do all things without complaining and murmuring. So that you'll become children of light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation Hold fast the word of life. And then that's the task. And then there's the testimony. And he continues. Yes. And if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. I'm glad. And rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. If it has come my time then to be poured out as a drink offering, as a praise to God. And if I'm being poured out then as a sacrifice for and in service of your faith. You see, that's what all of those verses were all about. It's what all the task is all about. It's about their faith. How their faith was established, how their faith was going to grow, how their faith would become obvious, how their faith would continue as they hold fast 
And so Paul says, if I have given my life to the sacrifice and service of your faith, I'm glad about it. I'm glad. What does that mean? It means it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it to see folks saved. To see those boys and girls and young men and women. To see our children and then grandchildren. And in the grace of God, maybe even our great-grandchildren or great-great-grandchildren. We see them saved. And yes, there is work to be done. There is sacrifice to be made. We are, after all, being poured out. What is it? It's being used up. The Old Testament gave us another metaphor. It said, uh, we must all needs die, he said, and are as water spilt upon the ground that cannot be gathered up again. I mean, that was the whole point of the drink offering. When you poured that drink offering out, you know, if you poured out an offering a meal, you could always sneak back later and scoop it back up and put it and go on about it. No, you can't do that with the drink offering. It, once it's poured out, it was done. We must all die, and we're like water poured upon the ground that can't be gathered up again. Folks, we're going to give our life to something. When we give it to God in the service of his people, in whatever measure that is, when we live our life devoted to him, so that whatever it is that we do, wherever it is that we go, we're doing all things without complaining and disputing. We're shining as lights. We're serving the Lord. We're training up our children in the nurture and admonition of God. We see them saved. We see them learning scripture. We see them growing to be faithful and dedicated servants. We see their lives changed for eternity. It's worth it. It's worth it. Sacrifice of your time, of your energy, of your days, your weeks. If necessary, yes, your months and years uh, the sacrifice that you put in in order to serve other people's faith, to sacrifice and serve other people's faith so that they're saved, they're baptized, they grow up to be faithful in the church, they learn the Word of God. Folk, it is worth it. It's worth it. Maybe you could see thousands come to Christ. It would be worth it. If you see dozens come to Christ, it's still worth it. It's still worth it. Oh, if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I'm glad. Wanted to spend our time tonight just considering that simple expression. It's worth it. Be encouraged tonight. Lift up those hands that hang low and strengthen those wobbly knees. All of those things are 
from the race. That runner that's tired and he's dropped his hands and knees that are wobbling and, and feeble and given out. Strengthen them. We're not done yet. Amen? Amen. We're still in the race. And my, if my life can be spent building up somebody else's faith, it's worth it. It's worth it. Maybe tonight you're on the other side of that equation. You're one of the ones whose faith needs to be established. Maybe you need to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you need to follow him in baptism. Maybe you need to be a part of this church family. Maybe you've got some special decision you need to make for Christ. I don't know what it is, but you do and God does. But especially tonight, if you need to be saved, let this be the time that you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let's stand together, please.